having said I've been on the trip twice, you all didn't need to spend any time talking about people with no skill going. I used to have a t-shirt that said, if it can't be fixed with duct tape, it can't be fixed. Think about this for a second. What would it be like to not have a home? What would it be like if you had to figure out how to survive last night's snowstorm without a house, an apartment? I, I don't want to guilt us into uh, everybody, you know, now we're going to pass the books back, everybody sign up for next year's trip. But that was the profound thing for me it, when I, the, the two times I went. It, when, when you hand these people the keys, right, you know, you hand me my house key and I'm like, I can't believe I haven't locked my door. I mean, I don't even think about it. And I think here's somebody who last night was, you know, had a tarp draped over a car or what was left of a car to actually have a home. What a picture of the gospel. So thank you guys for going and for serving for the whole team that went. And, uh, and that, um, it, it, it's a picture of, of Jesus. And I, and I appreciate you guys coming and, and sharing with us this morning. I just was touched again with what a profound experience that is. So if you haven't had a chance to go, go. It, it, it's amazing. Um, turn to your Bibles if you have them to Acts chapter 2. Uh, we are, uh, we're in a sermon series looking at how we engage with our culture as Christians. Uh, and under the category of useless data information, uh, I did some research this week. And I'm not exactly sure how the numbers line up, but five out of ten people interviewed said that at one time or another, when they were a guest in someone else's home, they snooped. <laughs> they looked around. They, uh, they, they opened a cabinet. They checked under the sink. Maybe they ran their finger, you know, to see if there was uh, dust or not. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you've been one of those folks, but, but the data would say that, that everybody on this side of the room has, and everybody on this side of the room has at least thought about it. Following up this, again, useless data of information, they interviewed this woman that said, I found the remedy before people uh, come to my home as guests for dinner or whatever. I put marbles in my medicine cabinet. <laughs> they open it. Think about it. Stay with me. Come on. I know it's early. You know, you open it all on the floor, and then you got to go out and explain to your host why, uh, why you were the one opening the medicine cabinet. I thought about that, and I figured she had to be lying, because how do you get the marbles in the cabinet, close the door. You're going to cut a hole in the top of your medicine cabinet. That's a little obsessive. Um, but this sermon series, I know you're all going, where on earth is he going? This sermon series is really directed towards a question of how do we culturally engage with the community around us? When we, when we leave North Kirkwood Middle School on Sunday morning, and you and I go to our different places, our different areas of responsibility, families, friends, work, uh, clubs, volunteer organizations, how do we engage for the sake of the gospel in that arena in a way that, that represents Christ? I want to flip that this morning because there are always people at Green Tree Community Church on a Sunday morning worship service like this who are here who have not bought into the Christian faith. They're here exploring. They're here because uh, mom and dad made them come. Uh, they're here because a neighbor uh, invited them and they wanted to be polite. But every Sunday... Uh, and this is not an assumption on my part, I, this is accurate, there are plenty of folks among us who are not yet convinced of the claims of Christ. 
And in a sense, they're on the outside looking in. And, and if that describes you this morning, I can't tell you how grateful uh, I am, and I think I speak for everybody else who's a regular tenor at Green Tree, that if you are even questioning at all uh, the idea of your spiritual life and what that might mean, how thankful we are that you're here. And whether you ever agree with what we believe or not, you're always welcome. And in fact, this sermon is for you this morning. Because what I'd like to invite you to do is to take a look. On the outside, looking in, we didn't put any marbles in our medicine cabinet. We are, we are not here hoping that you'll see this nice facade we're putting forward on Sunday morning, but that you won't look too closely and see what's really in our hearts and our minds and our lives. We, we know the junk in our lives. We, under, we understand, at least to some degree, that we are in great need of a Savior, which is why we gather together every week. But I want to invite you to, to come and to look and to ask questions like, does their conduct really match up with their creed? Do they really believe what they say? Do they talk about grace? Or do those folks over there at Green Tree Community Church who call themselves disciples of Jesus or Christians or whatever title you want to put on it, do they just talk about grace or do they actually live it out? We'd like to invite you to come and to look. But the question will be, what will you find? What will you see? In Acts chapter 2, and verses 42 through 47, which we're going to read this morning, you get a glimpse of the very first community church. You could call it the first Jerusalem community church if you want to. Uh, it's a small band of a few hundred people who were followers of Jesus while he was alive, but most of whom have put their faith in Jesus after he was gone because somebody else told them about him. Somebody being maybe an apostle, uh, maybe Mary Magdalene, uh, maybe uh, one of the tax collectors, maybe one of the people that Jesus healed, but somebody was a witness to them. Someone told them about Jesus. Someone told them about the opportunity for salvation and the opportunity to have a relationship with God, these spiritual questions that we still ask today. And they came and they looked and they listened and they believed. What was it about that particular community and what can we learn from them this morning as we invite others to come and to look and to see what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. Hear the word of God. And they, being these disciples of Jesus, these, these new converts, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to breaking of bread and to prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word to him alone be glory. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the, uh, the witness this morning to the glory of Jesus. Father, we thank you that we could sing of his praise and his worth. We could be reminded that when all else fades, when there is nothing left of this world, his glory will remain into eternity. Father, we thank you that we could come and we could worship the Lord Jesus and make him the center of our thoughts as we heard our friends talk about their experience last month in, in Mexico and how you moved in, in their hearts and their lives and, 
and they gave, or they got probably even more than they gave, and how they were impacted. Not because they're good people and they gave up a weekend to go help somebody else, but because they simply followed you and that's where you took them. Father, we know that, uh, that the world is watching, uh, sometimes with indifference, other times with keen interest, probably most often somewhere in between. Father, you have called us to be your witnesses. The, the uh, passage we looked at last Sunday reminded us that that's the very simple responsibility that Jesus gave all his disciples. Be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the corners of the earth. So, Father, those of us who call ourselves disciples have been called by you to this day and to this moment, to this generation, in this particular community. It's no accident. It's by your providence. It's by your design that we are here. And, Father, we long to to not only go deeper in our relationship with you, but we long for you to empower us to witness well for Jesus, not just in our words, but in the way you are changing our lives. So, Father, this this sermon is, is about your power to transform us. This is not a to-do list that we just need to work harder at. Rather, it is the work of your Holy Spirit in our lives, and it's evidence of that fact. So, Lord, I pray that you would teach us this morning. Forgive me for my sin. Lord, don't let me stand in the way of what you want us to know and to understand and to apply to our lives. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. I want to give just a a very brief word of caution before we jump into this passage this morning. Um, When you're looking at different genres of work, different types of writings, you have to understand the genre in which you're looking to understand the context to get the correct message. Uh, And that is true in Scripture, just as it is true in any other book. And this particular part of the Bible, this uh, what we call the book of Acts, was actually a letter that, uh, that a follower of Jesus named Luke wrote to a buddy of his named Theophilus to talk to him about being to- witnessing to him about the early church of Jesus. But Acts is an historical book. It is a narrative. It tells a story, not a made-up story. It is historically accurate. There was a guy named Ramsey who about 100 years ago traveled to the Middle East for the sole purpose, actually about 150 years ago, for the sole purpose of disproving the authority of the Bible through taking the book of Acts and going to the places where Luke wrote about and saying, well, see, now the archaeology proves that that person could never have lived there or that city was never there. And he ended up becoming a disciple of Jesus because Acts was 100% accurate in its history. Having said that, It is an historical book. It is not a book on theology proper. And so what we glean from a book like Acts is insight, but it's not not a command. It's not, you must do it this way. Let me give an example. We read in this passage, and we're going to look at in just a few minutes, the topic of generosity. And you see in this passage that generosity is exercised by people selling their possessions and coming and bringing the proceeds of those possessions possessions to the new church so that those who were in need, those who were hurting, uh, just like the folks that were helped a couple weeks ago with a new home, that those people could be cared for. That is not prescriptive. Scripture is not saying you must go sell your possessions if you're going to be a disciple of Jesus. However, there is an insight there into the heart that is changed by the power of the Holy Spirit and what happens in that regard. Let me give you the example on the other side of the equation. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul says, Husbands, love your wives 
just like Jesus loved the church and gave himself for her. That is not an observation. That is not a suggestion. If you're here this morning like me, you're a married man and you call yourself a disciple of Jesus, that is a command that Scripture gives us. That is prescriptive. We are to seek to love our wives the way Christ loved the church. We're not commanded to sell possessions and give away. That's showing how the work of generosity through the power of the Holy Spirit can work. So before we jump into this text, I want to say we would be foolish to ignore these first practices and principles that are behind them, but we need to understand that what we're seeing is a picture. With that in mind, let me give you, if you're on the outside looking in, let me give you five things you should see in some shape or form while you're observing a Christian community like Green Tree Community Church. The first is you should see a high value on public worship. If you look at, at verse, I'm going to actually go to verse 46 for a minute, where it says, and day by day, excuse me, day by day, attending the temple together. So that's a very public setting. Now, Luke gets to that a little bit later on. I'm, I'm starting there because everything that came before that was done in a public setting, either in people's homes or right there in the temple in the middle of Jerusalem for everybody to see. So what did they see these Christians doing? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And I put four words at the bottom just to maybe to give you a little bit simpler uh, uh, understanding of it. These folks were committed to learning. They came and they sat at the apostles' feet and they said, tell us about Jesus. We want to know more. If we're going to follow him, if we're going to love him, if we're going to give our lives to him and be a witness for him, we need to learn. Secondly, it says they devoted themselves to not only to the apostles' teaching, but to the fellowship, to the unity of the church, to the unity of the body of Christ. They gave themselves to that. When you look around Green Tree from the outside looking in, you should listen for things like gossip. You should listen for things like slander. You should listen for things like divisiveness because if you hear those things, you will know that we are falling short of what we say we believe. But if you actually see a group of people that rub each other the wrong way every now and then, pretty regularly, and seek to forgive one another, and they're committed more to, to the unity of the church than they are to their own personal agenda. Maybe, just maybe, there's something to this thing called Christianity. Not only to learning and to unity, but to celebration. The breaking of the bread there actually refers to the Lord's Supper, to, to, the, to the table of communion. But that is, Jesus calls us to celebrate communion. He calls us to come and to, and to have the bread broken and, and, and the, and the um, wine representing his body as a way of remembering the grace of God and, and to celebrate his mercy and his love. So as you come and you look at Christians, are they, are they puffed up? Are they arrogant? Are, are, they, are they folks that are, are so excited that, that God could have somebody as good as them on his team? Or do they say, I can't believe this grace that I, that I get. How did this happen to such a wretch like me, the celebration, but then also to petition, to going to, going to our Father about one another. You, you want to know when you want to talk about one of your brothers and sisters in Christ, a green tree? Go talk to your Father and, and give them to him and say, Father, work in their lives. 
work in my life to love them. But, but there's a commitment to going to our Heavenly Father, putting Him at the center of the conversation. When you are on the outside looking in, you should see people that highly value the public demonstration of those things. It's not that we're out on the corner waiting for somebody to walk by so we can beat them over the head with our Bible and force them to come to church, but we, we, you should see folks that are unabashed in their faith, not rude, not obnoxious, but clearly impacted by the grace and the mercy of God and the work of the Holy Spirit. The second thing you should see is you should see a reverent spirit. You should see reverence. Look at verse 43. And awe, that awe is, is a reverence. It's a, it's, it's a, a sense of uh, an amazement that, that leads to respect and to worship. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Now, when it says every soul, it means everyone who is a disciple of Jesus. Not everybody in Jerusalem, but awe came on everyone in the church because of what God was doing. So I've written down there that we marvel at God's power, not man. When I use the word reverence, I don't mean kind of, you know, like quiet and, you know, fold your hands and, and be real still and, you know, bow your head. There's a time for that. There absolutely is a time for that. But if you've been hanging out at Green Tree for a while, that's not necessarily how we lead. <laughs> We, we tend to be a bit expressive and exuberant. And, and that's why during Holy Week, a lot of times, during, and we are again this year, we're going to be looking for times of quiet. Because there is time when reverence should lead us to, to, as David said in the Psalms, be still and know that I am God. Should lead us to moments like Habakkuk the prophet says, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. But whatever form that reverence takes, reverence can take shouting with joy or deep quiet, you should see a people who are humbled by God's redemptive power. They happened to be humbled by what they saw in the apostles, but they were not giving praise to men. They were not awed by men. They were awed that these common men were vessels that God would use to change their lives and to change the world. I don't know if you've been by our new property recently, but if you pull into that little street between Einstein's over here, if you're pulling that way, Einstein's and um, Cole, I think Colson Creamery and Culpepper's is there. If you pull down that little street, you'll see the sign up there that says, Future Home of Green Tree Community Church. And I'm not sure which one of our folks did it and put it, uh, got it all together. It's really cool looking. I drove in, I was going to the cleaners the other night, and I went, wow, look at that, that's really neat. Well, I like to mess with our communication director's head. I just like to kind of freak her out every once in a while. So I said to Cindy last night at dinner, and I don't think Mindy's in here this morning, so keep this under your hats. I said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to get somebody to take a picture of you and me kind of going like this. And then we're going to Photoshop it in so it looks like that's what's on top of the sign. So it, Mindy will look at it and say, and I'll say, Mindy, look, we got me and Cindy waving hi to everybody to our new property, you know, the, the epitome of tackiness. And I, she'll fall apart. And then I can tell her it's a joke because it doesn't matter who the pastor is. <laughs> No bearing whatsoever. It matters what God is doing. And if you're on the outside looking in, you should see a people of reverence, even if they're a little noisy and a little rough around the edges. The third thing you should see if you're looking at the community of, of faith, of those of us who call ourselves disciple of Jesus, is you should see generosity. We mentioned this a few minutes ago. What you should see is actually a radical shift in our priorities. Uh, look at what this says. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Before the Holy Spirit began to transform these people's lives, before they had faith in Jesus, 
They might have given to their local charity, but it certainly was not to this extent. There was something new that was created in their hearts. And what it was was they were overwhelmed by God's gift to them in Christ. Kathy Bingley said it a few minutes ago. That could have been the whole sermon. Why would you come and help us build a house you don't even know us? It's because of what Jesus has done for us. And that changes the priorities of our lives. It changed them. It, it made them givers. And this was voluntary. It was not compulsory. This is not a form of government. This is not saying that, you know, a commune, as, as, as those of us who lived in the 60s have, are familiar with that term. It's not saying that, that someone's forcing you to do this. This is what people did strictly out of their changed lives. I was in a meeting this week with some of the leaders at Green Tree, and we, we, we invited somebody in to come and give us some advice. Um, and we were talking about giving, and we were talking about generosity, and he wrote some things on the board, and so I'm, I'm, I'm borrowing from him this morning. I told him I was going to, I told him I, I, but I would, I would credit him. And he gave us three questions. He said, when you think about generosity, people kind of tend to think, you know, certain ways. And the first one is, what can I give of my possessions? So, you know, that, that, that's a pretty good thought. You know, here's all the stuff I have. What can I give? That, that's good. We're thinking about giving. We're thinking about being generous. But he said the problem with that sentence is that little word, my. Because it, it means that I think that it belongs to me. When, in fact, if we're disciples of Jesus, we understand that Scripture says we have learned that everything belongs to God. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Our very lives belong to him. So I, technically speaking, I don't have any possessions. They're not mine. They belong to him. So that led us to the second question. What can I give of what God has given me? That's, that's a pretty good thought. God's given me X amount of resources. How can I, how, how can I give those? What, what of those can I spare? But he said, if you want to know what generosity looks like in the mind of God and, and where discipleship should lead us, it really asks this question, how much do I need of what belongs to God? And then he told us the story of a man who was really wrestling because he was able to live on just 10% of his income and give away 90%, and he was trying to get it down to 9, and he was really having a hard time getting it to 9. And I'm like, wow, I, don't even, I haven't begun to get my mind around generosity. <laughs> and, and I'm not here to say, you know, that's, that's the model. <laughs> but there's something about a person's heart that's been touched by the Spirit of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ that says, you know what, Just uh, there, there's a little bit I need, but, but how can I share what God has given me with others? When you're on the outside looking in, you should see a people who are generous. My fourth observation out of five is that as you look, you should see an emphasis on community. Look at verse 46. We uh, mentioned this just a minute ago. Day by day, attending the temple together, and breaking bread in their homes. That's really where I want to key on here. They received their food with glad and generous hearts. A commitment to God leads us to love for one another and to a common hospitality. They didn't limit their interaction with one another to, uh, to going to church, so to speak. But, but rather, it led them to community. It led them to a genuine kind of walking side by side through the moments of life. Uh, next Sunday in this first service, if, you, if you're normally coming to the first service, you're going to hear one of our Stephen ministers share some of her story about how God has been working in her life. And part of her story is how people at Green Tree just came alongside her at moments of great difficulty and just cared for her well. And as you look at this community, and as you look at this community in the process of thinking, do I believe in Jesus, <laughs> you should see people that because they're being changed by his power and by his grace, we're not going to get it right every time. But God has created within us this desire for 
out in public, house to house, shoulder to shoulder, hand in hand, so to speak. A thankfulness to God breeds hospitality within us. It breeds a, a care for one another. There's a little eight-year-old who went to church for the first time. And he came home from church, and his grandpa was at the house, and his grandfather never went to church. And, uh, and, and, and the daughter, who, uh, the mom of the, of the little boy, the daughter of the, the grandpa, said, we went to church. And so the grandpa said, oh, I don't know about that. You know, uh, little grandson, what did you think about church? Well, you know, how was it? And the little boy thought for me. He said, well, you know, it was kind of long, and they sang some songs I didn't know. And, and I had to put my head down when they prayed. I'm not sure what I understood that. And then some guy just got up and just, oh, gosh, talked forever and on and on and on. And, and, and I didn't really understand what he said. Um, but then this really cool thing happened. They knew they kind of, you know, imposed on you. So they passed around a plate with money, and you could take some out and put it in your pocket. They paid you to come. They paid you to come to church. And that, that was the real highlight of the, of the morning. Now, we don't actually pass an offering plate. Uh, we have these little church models where we, we drop our offerings as we come and go. But there's something about his observation, not the actual money part, but there's something about, you know what, I hope the person sitting next to him said, you know what, son, get another dollar. You might need it. <laughs> and we look at it as an opportunity to care well for others. If you're watching us closely, if you're not a follower of Jesus, hopefully you would see that, that, that the grace of, of and our crossword, our cross goes more, the play is... I've said every Sunday we have the cross up, and now I'm going to have to fuss at somebody in between worship services. If you haven't been here before, we have a great big wooden cross that I guarantee you will be here um, probably by the second service. Um, <laughs> you should always check to make sure your props are in place, you know. Um, it's because of what Christ did on the cross for us that draws us into community with one another. One last observation. If you're in the outside looking in, you should see multiplication. You should see... Uh, numeric growth. Why? Because of what God is doing. They were praising God, having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Redemption is not self-improvement. If you're coming to Green Tree because you want your goal is to be a better person, again, you are very, very welcome here at Green Tree Community Church. Every, anytime the door is open, you're welcome but you're going to be grossly disappointed <laughs> because it's not about self-improvement. I read an article in the Business Journal a few weeks ago, and the author of the business of this article was talking about leadership, and he was talking about the brokenness of the world. And he said, you know what, but if we broke it, we can fix it. And I read that, and I loved the article, and it was a really well-written article, and I read it, and I went, that's just not true. If anything that human history shows us, it shows us there's no way in the world we've ever been able to fix the terrible damage that we've brought to this planet to our relationships with one another. So I found the guy's email address, and I shot him an email. I said, I loved your article. Uh, I was intrigued by this phrase. Uh, my experience tells me, and, and looking at history tells me that that is impossible. I'm just curious, you know, kind of what, what were you thinking about there? Um, you know, any thoughts? And, and he, and he uh, jotted back and said, you know, I, I really appreciate your words. Thank you very much. You seem to be uh, the kind of person that really uh, longs to, to be a better person. And, and for self-improvement, we need more people like you in the world. And I went, man, oh, man, I was very unclear, wasn't I? <laughs> so I wrote back, it's about Jesus for me. I, I, I can't get better on my own. If he doesn't change me, I'll, I'll be the same whole time. But because the Lord adds numbers, <laughs> because the Lord brings people to salvation, because Jesus' heart 
It was for that eight-year-old boy who'd never been to church and was so excited that, it, that there was some money that came around for him. It's about my next-door neighbor or your business partner or the teacher in your 11th grade math class that you don't like all that much, who maybe don't know Jesus being found by him. But more often than not, he's, people are found by Jesus because he sends someone looking. And that's you and that's me. And what I've really been saying this morning is, yes, to those of you who are visitors and you're not sure about the faith, these are things you should see. But it's really a, an opportunity for you and for me to look in the mirror. To look in the mirror of the gospel. Because the Lord is the one who is growing his kingdom. The Lord is the one who is, who is radically and passionately consumed with the salvation of the lost. Does that describe my heart? Does that describe your heart? Is the Spirit of God really at work at Green Tree Community Church? That's an honest question. I'm not asking that, like, hypothetically speaking. I'm asking that question. Is the Holy Spirit of God at work at Green Tree Community Church in my heart and in your heart? If he is, more and more of these things that we see now that we have to go out and do it exactly right, we're not going to build a replica of the temple so we can all say we went to the temple. But the principles hold true, generation to generation. What do those see? What do those who are on the outside looking in see when you're in your office, when I'm uh, coaching a hockey game, when, when you're going to school? Do they see the spirit of the living God transforming us, living humble lives, generous lives, lives of community, so that God will work through us to grow his kingdom. Let's pray together.